Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It seems impious to question the will of the divine. But that's the 10th Psalm. God-given words for us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. It is a prayer God meant you to utter. It is a hymn God intended you to sing. He actually insists that you ask, where was God when Herod's soldiers went house to house slaughtering toddlers? Where is God when the tragedy continues today? Why does he hide in times of trouble? Why does he seem so far away? And after asking, there's really only two things you can do. You can either look to his word where he speaks to you about it to answer your anger, your pain, your fear. Or you can just assume that he has nothing to say. The psalm continues. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. So today, and really every time since the psalm was written, it seems deep down like we end up spending more time defending God than he spends defending us. It seems like whenever tragedy arises, we need to protect the idea and reputation of God from anybody that might actually look at this and say, it's not okay. You see, everybody questions this. But the tragedy of it is that the atheists of the world have become more comfortable praying the 10th Psalm than the Christians, even though we think it. We won't actually speak it out loud. Instead, we come up with lists of reasons why everything is totally okay right now, I promise. And, you know, God didn't cause it, he just, he allowed it, and that somehow makes it better. Here's some fortune cookie slogan about God's plan that tries to reframe it so it doesn't all sound so horrible. In a nutshell, here's something completely not in his word that we will turn to, to try and be content when deep down we really aren't. Some poem about footprints in the sand. Some parable about a bunch of blind guys grabbing hold of an elephant and trying to figure out what it is. All of it, all of it, an attempt to answer the issue behind every single religion that claims that its God is loving. Why is there evil? I imagine Joseph prayed the 10th Psalm as he gave up every single idea of what his life would be like as he fled his home to protect a kid that wasn't even his from being slaughtered. This was not a camping trip. He became a refugee. And he was lucky. Rachel weeps for her children and refuses to be comforted because they are no more. 
thousands of voices join together in lament as Herod slaughters their children. Because an angel didn't warn them to run. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is not the time for a cute poem about footprints that you know full well isn't actually in the Bible. I don't have any good excuses here. It's not because God does not explain it. It's because we, by and large, don't like the answer that he gives. See, he describes himself as a God we are not entirely sure that we want. Because we want a God who gives us free will. We want a God who gives us freedom from risk, freedom to choose, freedom from injustice, freedom from suffering. It was everything that King Herod wanted. He prayed to the God of security, and he made right sacrifices to him because he wanted to make his own choices. He wanted not to be deposed of his leadership, not to face hardship, not to hurt. And so if I'm being truly honest, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you that I can relate a whole lot more to Herod in this story than I can to Christ. Because I want those things too. But my Lord left them all behind. He left behind the glory and security of heaven to be born in a manger, smuggled across borders, only to die on a cross. Deep down, I don't think I'm very much alone. I think most of us probably would prefer a Herod to a Christ, as long as he's on our team. Because we want security from God every bit as much as we want security from God. I want security apart from his law, security apart from receiving his sacrament often for my good. I want security apart from having to thank, praise, serve, and obey a God who I am mad at sometimes. I want security apart from his wrath when I ignore his word. And so we can all recoil at the price that Herod was willing to pay for it, Maybe even learn something from the fact that even though he did this awful thing, all this great sacrifice to a false god of security, he still died. It didn't work. But still, we play the same game on a smaller scale. I don't know of anyone who has sacrificed thousands of lives. But statistically, more women enter Planned Parenthood for an abortion identifying as Christian than not. And men, spared from having to sacrifice this way to a God of choice, are every bit as guilty. Because we find plenty of other ways to chase the very same securities and freedoms we think we need. All we're really doing is quibbling over the price we're willing to pay for them. Because after praying the 10th Psalm, why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We make it our job to fix rather than turning to his word. And just like Rachel, we refuse to be comforted. But to those who keep reading, the psalm concludes, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O oh Lord, 
You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Your Lord hears the frustrated and desperate pleas when things do not get better. When, for all of our talk of free will, we still can't control this creation nearly as much as we want. It is to us who cannot fulfill the law that our God answers. He tells us that Jesus did not stop Herod from massacring children, but instead he worked salvation even in the middle of it. He entered into this weakness, entered into this tragedy to carve a path through death unto resurrection, to create a kingdom not bound to getting your way, voting for the proper things, or building a kingdom of this world, to offer a word that confronts the demands of the law with the promises of the gospel. The slaughter of the unborn is bad. It is always bad. There are no excuses. There are no justifications. But there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness because Jesus entered into this creation, not simply to stop the bad things from happening, but to bleed and die bearing the weight of the wrath of God. And so there is forgiveness, life, and salvation for the murdered and the murderers. It changes the talk. It reframes the debate. Because if your talk about abortion has to do with winners and losers, understand that Christ would fall into the wrong side, not because he's wrong, but because he puts himself into the camp that lost. He died on the cross, apart from control, apart from security or any of the other things that we are so desperate for, and we thank him for it. You see, God did not enter into this creation to fix the things that we have messed up, but to forgive the sinners who have ruined them. God brings his salvation closer to us when everything falls apart. He does not hang it on the other side of making good choices. He does not dangle it in front of those who do the right thing. Instead, he sends forth his son into this world as a child, as the weak one, to grow up inside of it, fulfilling the law that we cannot, only to bear the cross for sinners, for me and for you. God puts himself right in the middle of everything falling apart so that when we have no good answer, no good explanation, instead we have a cross. We have forgiveness made real rather than trite explanations and poems about footprints because God does not simply dare to be with us in strength when we are weak, so that he would carry us when we cannot walk. He dares to be with us in weakness himself, to bleed and die for us, that we would have more than just a path through this life, but we would have a path into the next. God answers grace. God answers mercy. God answers life for the weak, and for you, and for me. Because explanations are resigned to how things are. But the cross ends in the empty tomb. And it points to hope. And this hope is for you. It changes how we can confront these things that terrify and destroy. We deal with them in the forgiveness of sins. We deal with them in the gospel of life everlasting. We deal with them by looking at ourselves and each other in the eye and simply saying, your sins are forgiven you. All of your sins are forgiven you because Jesus died for you. Your abortion is forgiven you because Jesus died for you. And he is risen from the dead. Herod slaughtered innocents. Rachel wept and refused to be comforted. Joseph left his home and his life, but he did so in hope. And so the thing is, as much as he went through, the Bible never describes Joseph as being scared. Mary either. 
I'm not saying they weren't. I'm pretty sure they were terrified. But it didn't drive them. It didn't control them. Herod went mad with fear. It did control him. It took over how he made his choices. It warped how he saw the world. That as much as he would try and control his kingdom, it was his fear that controlled him. He became bound to that which left him dead in wrath, while Joseph was bound to our Lord, who gave comfort even in the midst of affliction, and kept him and all who believe unto life everlasting, in the hope that Jesus bore the cross for him, in the truth that Jesus bore the cross for you. He stands with you and for you in that which does not just sympathize, but gives life at the end and undoes the most vile of evils. It forgives the worst of sinners. It forgives you. It forgives me. And it gives life to those who have lost their own. Because the infant Christ grew to bear the cross for slaughtered toddlers, that those faithful would rise free from such pain and tragedy, finally secure forever in he who sacrificed his own life to save theirs and to save yours. You need not fear wrath. Jesus died for you. This is your salvation. The cross has robbed the wrath of God from you. Your sins are forgiven you, all of them. This is so absolute that you can even confront the law that calls you a sinner, even when you cannot control it. Justice has already been done for you. You are not given explanations. A cross and an empty tomb are your treasure. Some water and the word of God that tie you to that kingdom, that life, that salvation, they are yours. You are baptized. You are holy, washed clean of every sin, paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Stand firm in your baptism in these dark and latter days. Security comes here where your God would give you an identity in his work, in his life, in his salvation. For he entered this creation to save sinners. He entered this creation to save you. In the name of Jesus, amen.